the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, brought to you by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. They're the only guys I trust for investing in gold and silver. LegacyPMInvestments.com. We thank them for their sponsorship. So whenever I get ready to do a podcast or invite a guest or talk about a topic, I ask myself, why am I doing this? What is important about this? Today's guest is Dr. Peter McCullough. Maybe you saw him on the Joe Rogan show. Do you know that when he appeared with Joe Rogan, he got more downloads than when Elon Musk appeared with Joe Rogan? Dr. McCullough is an interesting man because he is going against the grain in many ways in the way that he sees our reaction to COVID-19 in this country and in the world, really. Not only our reaction to it, the way we treated it, the way that we were jumping to conclusions so early, must have ventilators, must not talk hydroxychloroquine, must not talk I- ivermectin. I mean, vehement responses, which may or may not have turned out to be true, and very little room for discussion about any of it. And that has, that has hurt this doctor, McCullough, but he's doing what he thinks is right and what many people agree is right. He is a practicing cardiologist, has been for decades. He is the author of Courage to Face COVID-19, which is a a fascinating read. He has done a lot of research. He has risked a lot. And yet no one really will debate him. He's invited other doctors to debate him about vaccines, to to say to him, he's asking them, prove me wrong. And he has no takers. And that makes him very interesting indeed. Why won't doctors, rather than just canceling the guy, why won't doctors speak up to him and say, here's where you have it wrong, Dr. McCullough? We are really excited to talk to him because we are open to all views here. That doesn't mean we're going to agree with all views, but we're open to them. Because the most chilling thing going on in America, hey, in the world right now, is this notion that we will not listen to people with whom we disagree, that we will not debate, that we will simply shout people down if we think they are wrong. We won't listen to those with whom we disagree. We won't invite a team of rivals around us to say, you know what, I have another thought about that, or let's put this to the test, or you know what, I disagree with you about this, let's let's debate it till we find the truth. That's where we used to excel in this country. And we need to get back to that. And so that is why I've invited Dr. Peter McCullough on to talk about our responses to COVID-19 and the way we're approaching vaccines. And are there problems with these vaccines? As you know, on this show, we have had vaccine injured. And it's troubling. And I think we've just talked about the tip of the iceberg. And we need to open our minds to that if we were... If we were angry enough to say one death is too many from the virus, COVID-19, 
then we should be angry enough to say one death is too many if someone died as a result of taking a mandated vaccine. So we're going to get into all of this with Dr. McCullough. I find him to be a very compelling listen. You can agree or disagree, but have the courage to listen. We hope you will. That's next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Dr. McCullough, welcome to Sideline Sanity. We're really thrilled that you could join us. I've made a promise to the listeners that we'll try to keep this in layman's terms. You are the author, as I've said in the intro, of Courage to Face COVID-19. And I have been reading the book voraciously. And it is, there's a lot of technical stuff in there that that is, uh, for me, was a little difficult to follow. But I'm not that smart. So I think my listeners are probably smarter than I am. But we appreciate you coming on. Um, I think the first thing I want to ask you is, when COVID-19 first sort of struck the world, I think December 20 or even November 2019, we in America, as it, as it reached our shores, we looked for leadership and we only looked to one place. And that seemed to be Dr. Anthony Fauci. No one wanted to trust the president at the time, Donald Trump. They wanted him to be wrong about everything. And it seemed as though this void was then filled by this man, Anthony Fauci, and no other ideas were allowed. What what was wrong with that picture? Because I think it was a, a, a not a, a good protocol to follow. Well, thanks for having me, Michelle. You know, I would say no other opinions were sought. Uh, as a cardiologist, uh, you know, we have a tradition uh, of coming to Washington, what's called Bethesda meetings, where we have uh, doctors in practice, in academia, industry, government agencies. We have an agenda and we tackle new problems. There never was a Bethesda meeting on COVID-19 or a series of meetings. There never were updates. Uh, I presented in the U.S. Senate early on in the pandemic a framework of what I thought we should be doing. I I published the four pillars of COVID-19 pandemic response. And the first pillar was do everything we can to understand and reduce the spread of the illness. Pillar number two was treat it early to prevent hospitalization and death, the most important pillar. Number three, do the best we can in the hospital and continually update. And number four, vaccination. Uh, and we didn't see this balanced approach. We didn't see teams called to Washington. We all volunteered multiple times. We've had a total now of four important U.S. Senate hearings. Our government uh, agency officials didn't show up to a single one. It's really been terrible. It's astonishing, really. And you have to ask yourself why. So my question to you is, why do you think that is? Why do you think the government didn't want this additional input at one of the most important moments in our history? It was as if our government officials were, were reading from a playbook. And the playbook said, stay in lockdown, uh, stay in fear, and wait to be saved by a vaccine. Well, I'm wondering how much you think fear played into certain 
organizations, institutions, universities, wherever, not wanting to invite the infected in, no matter the stage of their illness, because they were afraid of its contagion. I distinctly remember these task force conference calls that I was on and the fear that the doctors and nurses had. All the discussion was about PPE or personal protective equipment. You remember that? Yes. Focus on where the masks are coming from, rubber gloves, hand sanitizer. People weren't talking about how to save patients or treat patients. They were talking about how to protect themselves. And I think that form of groupthink uh, stalled development greatly. And what we learned over time, and I was shocked to understand that, that unlike other illnesses, suddenly our blue ribbon medical organizations had nothing to offer. Uh, there was no Harvard protocol. There was no Mayo protocol, Duke University. There weren't any conferences being called on how we can learn how to treat COVID-19. Uh, there, there was a complete vacuum. And uh, sadly, over time, there was no advancement in in-hospital treatment. Uh, everything was basically stuck on the very baseline, uh, minimalistic NIH guidelines. And hospitals develop no bravado. To this day, there are no comparative statistics, Michelle. Hospitals usually uh, have bragging rights about having the lowest mortality for bypass surgery or the best outcomes for cancer. Right now, uh, hospitals don't have any, any bragging uh, rights or even attempt to claim that they're good at treating COVID-19. It's really astonishing. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. It's it's quite interesting, and it, it does speak to something broader, I think, uh, although I can't put my finger on it. I'm sure there are some who can. Then came the, the, the bad words. Hydroxychloroquine was, I remember, I got absolutely shredded on one of my social media platforms because I posted an article that was in Newsweek or Time, I can't remember, a gentleman saying, you know, I'm, I'm giving hydroxychloroquine to my patients as soon as they are showing symptoms and he believed it was working. And I posted an article of somebody else saying this and I was told how stupid and ignorant I was and that, you know, hydroxychloroquine had no effect. Do we have a bottom line answer at this point? It was astonishing to me that people weren't even willing to, to try and that they felt like within a matter of weeks, they knew whether or not something worked. That is a curious observation. How did they know so quickly that it wouldn't work. You know, in 2006, there were publications showing that hydroxychloroquine worked against SARS-CoV-1. So we had very good rationale that this should work. You know, the Indian Medical Society, the Society for Indian Doctors in India, immediately put out uh, a protocol 
that healthcare workers should take hydroxychloroquine once a week to prevent COVID-19. Uh, and then, of course, studies were launched. Hundreds and hundreds of studies were launched. But I was uh, interested to to make this observation that doctors seemed to know right away that it wasn't going to work. You know, in France, they uh, took hydroxychloroquine from being over-the-counter. They made a prescription. In the United States, we developed a hydroxychloroquine U.S. national strategic stockpile, and then we didn't release it. They did the same thing in Australia. Uh, and then in Australia, early in April, they put on the books that if a doctor in Queensland prescribed hydroxychloroquine, that in fact the doctor could be uh, sentenced to jail. How did they know? The question is, Michelle, how did they know and why did they have such a vehement response to hydroxychloroquine? As it shakes out, and I've published uh, on this with Surgeon General Joe Ladapo in Florida, uh, we found out that hydroxychloroquine does have a measurable and modest effect, about a 25% treatment effect for COVID-19. So it's not zero. You know, it's not a game changer. But why did people take such a vehement reaction initially? That's, that's the key question. It's as though, I mean, it, it set people's heads on fire when they, or their hair on fire, their heads exploded <laughs> whenever you brought up hydroxychloroquine. It's interesting to, to hear a 25 a mild um you know, maybe impact, but nonetheless, it, it was not this, it just, it baffled me that people were so anti something so quickly. Ivermectin was the next one. People called it the horse pill or the, the you know, whatever the, and what is the, what is the history of Ivermectin? My understanding is it's been used against a lot of disease in the past. You know, it is interesting in our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, uh, lead author John Leake does some deep diving uh, research into both products. Both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are natural products. They come from natural substances in nature. Ivermectin is uh, a, a drug or a substance that was discovered actually in the soil on a golf course in Japan. And, and Japanese were very innovative. They found it had anti-parasitic uh, you know, properties. It's been used to treat river blindness. The Nobel Prize has been won with hydroxy with um, ivermectin so both products widely used for a long period of time and then ivermectin different than hydroxychloroquine what we found out is through the trials it was much more dynamic uh, it worked early and late and the, the trouble was finding the right dose and duration and the right dose and duration is 0.6 milligrams per kilogram of body weight for at least five to 10 days. And still the clinical trials being done today one was released uh, recently you know three days at a low dose. And the conclusion was, well, it didn't do anything. Well, I wouldn't expect it to do anything. That's not how we use it in community practice. So what happened is community standards of care developed in the first year with hydroxychloroquine, the second year with ivermectin, and then we add other drugs. Then now in the third year with Paxlovid and Molnupiravir, this is just the natural progression of drug treatment for disease. Yet hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were met with stiff resistance. In fact, the American Medical Association declared a campaign. They had a campaign in the fall of 2021 to abolish the use of ivermectin. Why would the AMA want to do that? It's it's a little strange to me. It really is. I think when, when you're met with such hostility against any attempt at treating people, you know, just end this, oh, no, 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 it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And still people... Are, have said that you are wrong for suggesting hydroxychloroquine could work, did work, had a small effect. And, and so it's really interesting. It's, I can't recall a medical emergency with such, as you, the word you use was vehement opposition in either direction. It's as though 
it, it, people really took sides and I, it became a political disease. And it's just so curious. One more thing, when we finally did get the vaccines, people seem to think that even if you had COVID, your natural immunity was not going to work for you as well as a vaccine would work. Where is the error in that thinking? Or is there an error? There's never been a case in history where a vaccine is better than natural immunity. And the FDA and the vaccine manufacturers from the very beginning excluded COVID-recovered patients from ever receiving a vaccine in randomized trials. So the vaccine manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, AstraZeneca outside of the United States, and the U.S. FDA agreed that COVID-19 recovered patients were not eligible for the vaccine. So I was stunned as a doctor when the vaccine program rolled out and said, well, even if you've had COVID, you can just take another one. We never do that. And then three papers came out pretty quickly. Raw, Kramer, and Methudius all showed that if someone had recovered from COVID-19, Michelle, and they just took a vaccine anyway, they were set up for lots of complications and side effects. It was a big mistake for anybody who recovered from COVID to just take a vaccine anyway. So you're you're saying that people who had recovered from COVID on their own without any uh, without being vaccinated were not eligible for the trials, so they weren't included in the the medical trials for the vaccine. That's correct. And yet they were told that they should take the vaccine when it did come out. And, you know, that's completely against regulatory rules because we have no data on safety. So when when schools and, and employers and the military said, take a vaccine anyway, we had no idea if this was safe or not. It turned out not to be safe. And, and, and now that, you know, the the side effect data is pouring in. Yeah. So a lot of these are in people who didn't need the vaccines. Uh, there are two papers recently from Qatar uh, one by Kimatelli and colleagues to, to source it, showing that if someone's already had the infection of any variant, they have nearly complete protection against hospitalization and death with the next infection. It's going to be characteristically mild. Our CDC has come out recently and said 86% of children have already been through COVID. So you can tell there's no clinical rationale for anybody to ever take a vaccine once they've already had the illness. And so after this break, what I want to get into is with something you just touched upon, and that is people who have been injured by these vaccines. I've met a number of them. It's heartbreaking, whereas this vaccine may be powerful and effective in many people. It has really hurt some, really hurt some, and I I don't want them to be ignored. We'll discuss that with Dr. McCullough right after this. Well, it seems the top of mind issue for most voters in the United States of America is money, inflation, the economy, gas prices, all of those things. So you have two things going on here, your short-term expenses and then your long-term view. Short-term expenses, it's really tough right now. It's tough for everybody. And long-term, you want to make sure that you are investing a little something so that down the road, you can retire. You can have an investment portfolio, as as big a term as that sounds like, it's really not. All it means is sort of a collection of investments. And I think precious metals belongs in there. And when I talk precious metals, I talk legacy precious metals for gold and silver. Those are the guys I trust. And you can talk to them and just ask, look, here's how much I have to invest. How much of it should be in gold and silver, if any? And how can I put it in my IRA or my 401k? What do I do? Should I have physical gold? 
Legacy Precious Metals can answer all those questions for you, and they're happy to do it. And the time is really now. A lot of people are saying this moment feels like 2008, where those who invested in gold saw really nice gains, and a lot of other people who didn't lost their retirements. So this is a phone call you want to make quickly. I'm going to give you the number here. It's 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. Also, they have a free investor's guide you can download and look at. If you want to do it that way, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Ask them your questions. LegacyPMInvestments.com. So, Dr. McCullough, the reason... I was connected with you was because I met with some injured vaccine or uh, vaccine injured, I should say, women here where I live. And in my little small circle, the three women I met had such powerful stories. And I've been introduced to many, many more people since then who have these injuries post vaccine. What's going on there? Is this a, a broad and dynamic issue that we can't pinpoint yet, or do we know some things yet? Well, like with any product, we should discuss safety first before efficacy. It's always a rule because if a product is not safe, doesn't matter how good it is, if it's not safe, it should be withdrawn from the market, never used. We apply that to automobiles electric appliances, anything in our lives. If it's not safe, it gets out of American life. Uh, there is a survey done by Skidmore and colleagues from Michigan State University. It's in the preprint server system. 22% of people like you, Michelle, they know somebody who's either been injured by the COVID-19 vaccines or sadly lost their lives. Now a Zogby survey done. Zogby's a, a you know nationwide survey company. They do representative fair surveys. Zogby has found 15% of people who've taken a vaccine have some new disease or medical problem, and they regret taking the vaccine. Yeah. That's five. That is a huge percentage. So even in the world of medicine, if if a product is developed, if a drug, a treatment is developed, if it is not considered safe. Even if it's effective, if it's not safe, it won't go to market? No, it won't go to market. Or if it gets on the market, it'll be withdrawn. And there's countless examples of this. Uh, there was a very promising drug in my field in, in heart failure called Posicor, and it led to increased death and a handful of deaths that was pulled from the market. The very first blood thinner to replace Coumadin uh, called Zymelagatran, it was pulled from the market when there were hemorrhagic deaths in those with uh, liver disease and GI bleeding. Um, you know, we just have no tolerance from this. The FDA uh, recalls drugs all the time, hundreds of them. And most of the time, the original manufacturer has already voluntarily recalled before the FDA even tells them to do so. But Americans are protected by the regulatory system. And the FDA and the manufacturers go, you know, th they're the ones that actually protect us from unsafe products. And no American should ever be exposed to an unsafe medicine. Doesn't happen. Well, we we know that there are people who truly believe that the moment they got a, a shot or a second shot, their lives changed forever. And I, I, I tend to give those people some some credit for knowing themselves well enough and knowing their reactions. And in some cases, these reactions 
have been awful. I talked to one woman on our podcast here who was in the AstraZeneca trials and her life has never been the same. And she's been offered some paltry sum of money that can never make up for what she's going through. She's a young woman with children, uh, young kids, and she just, <laughs> she's just never going to be the same. And it, it, it seems to me that that stuff is being sort of overlooked. You know, when we had a death from COVID, it was one death is too many from this awful disease. But when we have these adverse reactions to a vaccine, people kind of look the other way and say, well, but most people were kept safe by it. So we don't, we don't need to worry about that. It, it seems to me to be hypocritical. What do you, what do you think needs to happen from a big picture to these people who really believe that they've been damaged by the vaccine? You know, one term people have used is off the rails, that our regulatory system is off the rails. Let's just take what the FDA agrees that the vaccines do. The FDA agrees the vaccines cause heart damage or myocarditis. The FDA has warnings on this. It says if you take the vaccine, it can damage your heart. So the FDA agrees to that. The FDA agrees the vaccines cause blood clots. And blood clots can damage the brain, cause stroke, uh, cause blood clots in the extremities. So they, they warn us of that. And the FDA agrees the vaccines can cause neurologic injury, brain injury, and nervous system injury. So just take those broad warnings uh, themselves. I mean, everybody should be saying, okay, well, the FDA says that can happen. I can tell you all three categories can result in death. So what we have in death right now is we have 1,000 uh, I'm sorry, 14,000 and I believe around 635 Americans that have died with the vaccine where a doctor, a, a paramedic, a coroner, nurse, some healthcare person has reported this to the CDC in the, in the uh, vaccine event re reporting system. This is important. 14,635, I believe, is the current number. That is astronomical. We've never kept a product on the market with this large number of people dying. What we know is the CDC is telling us that most of the deaths occur on the same day they take the shot or the next day. That's the most common time period. That when these were reviewed by McLaughlin and colleagues early in April of 2021, where the vignettes were reviewed and by doctors and it was coded 86% of the time, there is no other explanation. They took the vaccine and they were well enough to go to a vaccine center and they died. Sadly, those who, are, who died were the same ones we are trying to protect, our seniors, our most uh, frail and vulnerable people. So the vaccines must be too strong or too toxic for frail individuals. We've subsequently learned that people who have background conditions are more likely to be damaged. So if there's a blood clotting disorder, the vaccines cause blood clotting. It's going to make it way worse. If there's background cardiac disease, heart failure, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or arrhythmias, it's going to be way worse. The same thing for neurologic diseases. Recently, there was a, a, a case reported by pathologist Mortz and colleagues from Germany, a 76-year-old man who had Parkinson's disease, takes the vaccines, he ultimately takes three shots, it causes market progression of his Parkinson's disease, and then he dies. His family is outraged, uh, and they order an autopsy. And there's evidence of vaccine damage, Michelle, in the brain and in the heart simultaneously. And the conclusion from the autopsy is the vaccines cause the death. So it's conclusive now in the medical literature in the United States and Connecticut. Gill and colleagues reported two boys. They were teenagers. And the parents found them in bed dead 
They had just taken the second shot of Pfizer. They were three or four days after Pfizer. The families ordered autopsies, and the coroner from Connecticut, backed up by pathologists from University of Michigan and University of Minnesota, agreed that the Pfizer vaccine caused the death. And there are scores of reports like this now where we don't have to conjecture on this. The conclusion is the vaccine is the cause of death, and it's all cohesive. And yet we're considering mandating, continuing to mandate these vaccines for for people who want certain jobs, for people who work in public service, for school kids. How How can we do that in good conscience? How can we mandate something that we really don't know all the answers about? The products are brand new. They're still considered investigational. We are seeing a pattern of astronomical numbers of deaths, injuries, and disabilities. Uh, Because they're experimental, it violates a code of ethics called the Nuremberg Code, which says that we can never provide any pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal for someone choosing to take or not take one of these vaccines. It's purely elective. It should have always stayed purely elective. And what are these employers, what are they thinking of when their employees die after the vaccine? That's really the question. What's the discussion in the boardroom? What does human resources say? What do the life insurances say? Uh, For the young people dying, what are the schools and colleges and and uh, military, what do they say? Uh, you know, I, I have to tell you, I haven't seen a single official come out and say they're sorry for doing this. Well, that would be an admission of something, I think. And so they don't want to apologize because then they may be bearing some responsibility that would open them to lawsuits, on and on it goes. And I feel as though this whole issue is just going to get kicked. I hate that kick the can, but it's going to be just pushed away and away and away until there's overwhelming evidence. And it's going to be not pretty. I don't know how ugly, but it's not going to be pretty. And again, I can't imagine you've just said, and I want to clarify, I just want to make sure I understood you correctly, that there is a code of ethics that says when a drug is in its investigative phase, which these vaccines still are, that you cannot be forced to take them. But can is do I have that right? That's correct. That's called the Nuremberg Code. And you know, there's a there's a linked code of ethics called the Declaration of Helsinki, which says that any person doing this must get full informed consent. They must be told of all these deaths. And these deaths are not uh, disclosed in the consent form, uh, nor are these other injuries. There's over a thousand papers in the peer-reviewed literature. This Consent form should have been updated dozens of times to to basically warn people about what could happen if they took the vaccine. And yet schools are considering mandating this in young people, many of whom who already have natural immunity, have already had the disease. I think we're somewhere, you know, look, I'm talking to you and I and I'm listening very carefully to every word that you say. And I don't find anything outlandish to what you're saying. What, and I understand that you've, you've suffered some damage to your career by being so vocal and by going against the grain of this groupthink of what, how we should be treating and resp- responding to, to COVID-19. Why are you continuing to put yourself on the line for this? Michelle, when I um, got involved in treating COVID-19 from the beginning, I was just trying to do my best to take care of my patients, 
to make sure my vulnerable family members were taken care of. I mean, that's just a human response. That's a, a caregiver response. Uh, then when I was asked to testify in the U.S. Senate in November of 2020, you know, the deaths were mounting. Uh, before the vaccines came out, we actually lost 250,000 Americans to COVID-19. Now, about 10% was directly due to COVID-19. The other 90%, it was it was a coincident medical problem that probably... We, we know those numbers are accurate. Yeah, that's quite yeah. a statement that 90% were coincidental. Yeah, r- roughly. I mean, the CDC has said that 10%, 90%. And Italy has it 3%, 97%. Uh, but, but it's roughly, uh, we know that it contributed. And so I think it's fair to say, listen, if someone was vulnerable, uh, they were at the end of life, COVID could have pushed them over the edge. That's a fair... Okay. Okay. Oh, 250,000 before the vaccines. Then the vaccines are rolled out. We lose another 750,000 after the vaccine program starts. Now the causes of death include COVID-19. That's unchanged. The vaccines never reduced COVID mortality. And now COVID vaccines themselves are adding to the death count. So the vaccines have made it far worse. And, uh, you know, we've never seen opposition to a vaccine like this. You know, we, we take, I'm a doctor. I've taken all the vaccines. We have hepatitis B and on and on. My kids have taken all the vaccines. Americans accept vaccines. You know, something like 98% of Americans have taken every vaccine on the schedule. That's not an issue. With COVID-19, by the way, compliance was not an issue either. The, the CDC says overall now 87% of Americans have taken one or more shots we know in the vulnerable over 65 on the CDC website, we're talking 98, 99% of ethnic groups have taken the vaccine. So it wasn't an issue of Americans not being compliant with the program. It was a, it was a clear case. The vaccines didn't work. They, they simply just didn't work with for taking care of the problem. And now we're in a big mess because uh, the safety data are pouring in. Americans have lost their trust. They're afraid that the next shot could be their last shot. It certainly seems that the shots that are available for children two and under have not been taken by many. I sure as hell would not, if I had a child that age, would not give them the shot, knowing what we know right now. And uh, I'm done. My kids are done. We're all done in this family taking those shots. And a lot of it is because of all of this new evidence. And I recall very specifically in 2020, I was covering the NFL, Dr. McCullough, and it was a very odd season. Fans, for the most part, were not allowed into buildings. Every All the protocols changed for how we could interview players, talk to coaches, all of that. And I remember being masked all the time, getting tested three times a week, and being with my colleagues, and we all were so desperate for this madness to end that we all said, boy, if that vaccine comes out, I'm taking it. I am taking it. I mean, we're pushed to that feeling of, I, I want to get rid of this damn mask. I don't want to be six feet apart. I'm tired of all of this. I'm fearful. I, I'll take that shot. I'll raise my hand. I'll be there. I'll be first in line. And it was remarkable that the vaccine was developed as quickly as it was. But this is, I guess my big picture final takeaway from you is, what is the biggest mistake we made in getting the vaccine to people so quickly? The biggest mistake we made is indiscriminate vaccination. I think any vaccine that would have come forward 
should have been used in a very limited number of people. The highest risk, it would have been easy, about 2.7 million nursing home or skilled nursing facility uh, patients, the workers surrounding them. There were clear patterns of transmission, by the way, in nursing homes, and there were large numbers of deaths. So there's no doubt about it. That was the group that really needed to be protected. You know, a limited program that had monthly safety reports. Uh, Now, having said this, it, it would have become apparent with proper data safety monitoring that the program would have been shut down by about February 1st of 2021. It wouldn't have lasted very long. But that would have been a reasonable approach. Uh, what we know is, you know, Pfizer knew about 1,223 deaths within 90 days of release of their product. They came out and court-ordered documents. Pfizer disclosed this. The FDA wanted to block this for 55 years. So Americans know this. They knew that Pfizer knew. Americans knew that they were calling Pfizer and their relatives were dying with the vaccine. So this got out of hand very, very quickly very quickly. And, and you can't take back a death. You can't get it back. Now the peer-reviewed literature, the safety systems, what Pfizer knew, what's coming out in life insurance roles. World Council for Health and International Organization has called for a global recall. June 11th, they said, take them all off the market. None of them are safe. When we have international organizations calling for recall of products, we should pay attention. If people want to look at the numbers for themselves, if they want to see a, 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 you know, go and look for themselves at a trusted database where they can see all of this in front of them, is there a place that you'd recommend? I'd suggest going to the World Council for Health website. It's got a pink and yellow background. They issued a pharmacovigilance report. It's in a PDF. You can download it. And it's not just based on U.S. data. It's international. You know, our our CDC VAERS system agrees with the UK yellow card system, the EU UDRA system, and the WHO VigiSafe system. They all agree. Go ahead and, and, and take a look at the pharmacovigilance report. Show it to your employer. Show it to your school. Uh, the rates of death are unacceptably high. We can't ask people to take a vaccine to stay in school or sports or in their job and have them lose their life. It's unethical. It's un-American. It's got to stop. Dr. McCullough, I am so grateful for your time. You have offered us a lot to think about and some good resources to turn to. And I wish you nothing but uh, success as you continue to try to care for the people around you and, and, and bring some light to this topic, which so many people are afraid to look at really objectively. And that to me is a little bit scary as well, but that's a topic for another day. Peter McCullough, author of Courage to Face COVID-19. He's got a blog. Look him up. And uh, we certainly appreciate your time, doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again to Dr. McCullough. Everyone, be brave enough to listen to opposing viewpoints. Do good and think about how maybe you're going to approach this with your family and your children and your the the vulnerable in your life with these vaccines. And thanks for listening to Sideline Sanity. Well, Sideline Sanity, we are very proud to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals, and we're joined by Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. Charles, we are hearing now that this is not transitional inflation. This is not a bump in the road. This inflation is going to be here a while. What, what, does, that, what does that tell you? You know, that's the scary thing. 
um, I think, you know, economies and, and, and such like that, they can deal with small jars. We have a unique situation. We had a Fed that waited much too long to react to the situation, calling inflation transitory for a year when everyone knew it wasn't. But more importantly than that, coming out now saying this is going to be here. This is long term. This is not short term. We're going to have elevated rates for the long term. And, and why that gets really scary is that means the cost of doing business is going to be elevated for years, which means the cost of goods are going to be elevated for years, which means if companies can't make enough money, they will go out of business. This is why we, we hear some of your bigger companies are already talking about layoffs. So it, it's a unique situation. The Fed found themselves in a very bad place and they reacted way too slow. And this is why we're at where we're at. So if I'm an investor, then what's why do I want gold and silver in my portfolio? What what will that do for me? You know, that, that's a great question. And that's a question we get a lot. And and really what gold and silver do, um, they act as the hedge against the dollar weakness. They act as a hedge against the other markets. And we know that the Dow and, and all of your markets, all your indices are, are, are pulling back, right? That's not the issue. It's not what's already happened. It's what's yet to come. And that's where we, we need to prepare. So depending on who you listen to and, and the research that you do, you know, there are case studies of saying expect to see another 25, 20 to 25% pullback in your equities markets based on interest rates and loans and, and the bond markets they're suffering as well. No one's going out to buy bonds knowing that they're going to be um, an increased return on them in three months. It makes no sense. So that leaves you in a position of what to do with your money and how to protect yourself. This is where gold and silver come in. This is why we say this is a long-term play. You buy it, you forget about it, let it do its, its job. And its job is to go up over time as the dollar gets weaker, as the purchasing power gets less, gold and silver increase. It protects that purchasing power. And that's the great thing about it. And there's your bottom line and why you need to call Legacy Precious Metals or go download their investor's guide at LegacyPreciousMetals.com. Charles, it's always good to talk to you because these are nerve-wracking times for people. You know, it, it's just the fact of the matter is, as we were told by the, the Fed chair, there's going to be some pain. So if people know that they've got something solid sitting in their investment portfolio, I think they're going to feel a little bit better, right? Absolutely. And, and we, you know, when we look at the actions that have happened just recently, I mean, the Fed has taken a very unique stance and they've done something very um, extraordinary. Three quarters of a basis points raises months in a row. That's one of the largest raises you've ever seen in the Fed through the history of the Fed. And it's not just once. One time is shocking. Here we are on the third month now. And we'll probably do another half a half a basis point next month or, or later this month, possibly even three quarters of a point. So when you look at that and you say that number is going to grow to where the Fed interest rates will be about 5%, unheard of. That means the interest rate to you and I, if that's what banks pay to borrow money, we're going to see, you know, credit cards will probably be over 28, 30% again. You're going to see home loans coming in 
nine, 10, possibly even 11%. And it's, it's a scary time. And this is why we say, okay, know that it's coming. Don't be afraid. You, you now are aware. So now you can protect yourself. And that's what we help people do. Don't be afraid. Prepare. Just prepare yourself. And like I say every day, I trust Legacy Precious Metals when it comes to investing in gold and silver. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles and his group can answer any and all of your questions. Charles, thank you so much. My pleasure as always. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 